0: Section twelve of the fortunes of Nigel by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten Bid not thy fortune troll upon the wheels of yonder dancing cubes of mottled bone, and drown it not like Egypt's royal harlot dissolving her rich pearl in the brimmed wine cup these are the arts lothario which shrink acres into brief yards bring sterling pounds to farthings credit to infamy and the poor gall who might have lived an honored easy life to ruin and an unregarded grave the changes when they were fairly embarked on the thames the earl took from his pocket the supplication and pointing out to george harriet the royal warrant indorsed thereon asked him if it were in due and regular form the worthy citizen hastily read it over thrust forth his hand as if to congratulate the lord glenvarloc then checked himself pulled out his barnacles a present from old david ramsay and again perused the warrant with the most businesslike and critical attention it is strictly correct and formal he said looking to the earl of Huntinglen, and i sincerely rejoice at it i doubt nothing of its formality said the earl the king understands business well and if he does not practice it often it is only because indolence obscures parts which are naturally well qualified for the discharge of affairs but what is next to be done for our young friend master harriet you know how i am circumstanced scottish lords living at the english court have seldom command of money yet unless a sum can be presently raised on this warrant matters standing as you hastily hinted to me the mortgage wad said, or whatever it is called will be foreclosed it is true said harriet in some embarrassment there is a large sum wanted in redemption yet if it is not raised there will be an expiry of the legal as our lawyers call it and the estate will be evicted my noble my worthy friends who have taken up my cause so undeservedly so unexpectedly said nigel do not let me be a burden on your kindness you have already done too much where nothing was merited peace man peace said lord hunting glen and let old harriet and i puzzle this scent out he is about to open hark to him my lord said the citizen the duke of buckingham sneers at our city money-bags yet they can sometimes open to prop a falling and a noble house we know they can said lord hunting Glen. mind not buckingham he is a peg of ramsay and now for the remedy i partly hinted to lord glenvarlock already said harriet that the redemption money might be advanced upon such a warrant as the present and i will engage my credit that it can but then in order to secure the lender he must come in the shoes of the creditor to whom he advances payment come in his shoes replied the earl why what have boots or shoes to do with this matter my good friend it is a law phrase my lord my experience has made me pick up a few of them said harriet ay and of better things along with them master george replied lord huntinglen but what means it simply this resumed the citizen that the lender of this money will transact with the holder of the mortgage or wadset, over the estate of glenvarloch and obtain from him such a conveyance to his right as shall leave the lands pledged for the debt in case the warrant upon the scottish exchequer should prove unproductive i fear in this uncertainty of public credit that without some such counter security it will be very difficult to find so large a sum Oh, law said the earl of hunting glen halt there a thought strikes me what if the new creditor should admire the estate as a hunting field as much as my lord grace of buckingham seems to do and should wish to kill a buck there in the summer season it seems to me that on your plan master george our new friend will be as well entitled to block Lord Lock out of his inheritance as the present holder of the mortgage the citizen laughed i will engage he said that the keenest sportsman to whom i may apply on this occasion shall not have a thought beyond the lord mayor's easter hunt in epping forest but your lordship's caution is reasonable the creditor must be bound to allow lord glenvar lock sufficient time to redeem his estate by means of the royal warrant and must waive in his favour the right of instant foreclosure which may be i should think the more easily managed as the right of redemption must be exercised in his own name but where shall we find a person in london fit to draw the necessary writings said the earl if my old friend sir john Skeen of Halliards had lived we should have had his advice but time presses and-i know said harriet an orphan lad a scrivener that dwells by temple bar he can draw deeds both after the english and scottish fashion and i have trusted him often in matters of weight and of importance i will send one of my serving men for him and the mutual deeds may be executed in your lordship's presence for as things stand there should be no delay his lordship readily assented and as they now landed upon the private stairs leading down to the river from the gardens of the handsome hotel which he inhabited the messenger was dispatched without loss of time nigel who had sat almost stupefied while these zealous friends volunteered for him in arranging the measures by which his fortune was to be disembarrassed now made another eager attempt to force upon them his broken expressions of thanks and gratitude but he was again silenced by lord hunting glen who declared he would not hear a word on that topic and proposed instead that they should take a turn in the pleached alley or sit upon the stone bench which overlooked the thames until his son's arrival should give the signal for dinner i desire to introduce Dalgarno and Lord Glenvarlock to each other, he said, as two who will be near neighbours, and I trust will be more kind once than their fathers were formerly. There is but three Scots miles betwixt the castles, and the turrets of the one are visible from the battlements of the other. The old earl was silent for a moment and appeared to muse upon the recollections which the vicinity of the castles had summoned up does lord Dalgano follow the court to newmarket next week said harriet by way of removing the conversation he proposes so i think answered lord hunting relapsed into his reverie for a minute or two and then addressed nigel somewhat abruptly my young friend when you attain possession of your inheritance as i hope you soon will i trust you will not add one to the idle followers of the court but reside on your patrimonial estate cherish your ancient tenants relieve and assist your poor kinsmen protect the poor against subaltern oppression and do what our fathers used to do with fewer lights and with less means than we have and yet the advice to keep the country said harriet comes from an ancient and constant ornament of the court from an old courtier indeed said the earl and the first of my family that could so right himself my great beer falls on a cambric ruff and a silken doublet my father's descended upon a buff coat and a breastplate i would not that those days of battle returned but i should love well to make the oaks of my old forest of dalgauna ring once more with halloo and horn and hound and to have the old stone arched hall returned the hearty shout of my vassals and tenants as the bicker and the quake walked their rounds amongst them i should like to see the broad tay once more before i die that even the tims can match it in my mind surely my lord said the citizen all this might be easily done it costs but a moment's resolution and the journey of some brief days and you will be where you desire to be what is there to prevent you habits master george habits replied the earl which to young men are like threads of silk so lightly are they worn so soon broken but which hang on our old limbs as if time had stiffened them into jives of iron to go to scotland for a brief space were but labour in vain and when i think of abiding there i cannot bring myself to leave my old master to whom i fancy myself sometimes useful and whose weal and woe i have shared for so many years but Delgarno shall be a scottish noble has he visited the north said harriet he was there last year and made such a report of the country that the prince has expressed a longing to see it lord dalgarno is in high grace with his highness and the duke of buckingham observed the goldsmith he is so answered the earl i pray it may be for the advantage of them all the prince is just and equitable in his sentiments though cold and stately in his manners and very obstinate in his most trifling purposes and the duke noble and gallant and generous and open is fiery ambitious and impetuous dalgarno has none of these faults and such as he may have of his own may perchance be corrected by the society in which he moves see here he comes lord d'algarno accordingly advanced from the farther end of the alley to the bench on which his father and his guests were seated so that nigel had full leisure to peruse his countenance and figure he was dressed point de and almost to extremity in the splendid fashion of the time which suited well with his age probably about five-and-twenty with a noble form and fine countenance in which last could easily be traced the manly features of his father but softened by a more habitual air of assiduous courtesy than the stubborn old earl had ever condescended to assume towards the world in general in other respects his address was gallant free and unencumbered either by pride or ceremony far remote certainly from the charge either of haughty coldness or forward impetuosity and so far his father had justly freed him from the marked faults which he ascribed to the manners of the prince and his favourite buckingham while the old earl presented his young acquaintance lord Glenvarlock, to his son as one whom he would have him love and honor nigel marked the countenance of lord dalgarno closely to see if he could detect aught of that secret dislike which the king had in one of his broken expostulations seemed to intimate as arising from a clashing of interests betwixt his new friend and the great buckingham but nothing of this was visible on the contrary lord dalgarno received his new acquaintance with the open frankness and courtesy which makes conquest at once when addressed to the feelings of an ingenuous young man It need hardly be told that his open and friendly address met equally ready and cheerful acceptation from nigel oliphant for many months and while a youth not much above two-and-twenty he had been restrained by circumstances from the conversation of his equals when on his father's sudden death he left the low countries for scotland he had found himself involved to all appearance inextricably with the details of the law all of which threatened to end in the alienation of the patrimony which should support his hereditary rank his term of sincere mourning joined to injured pride and the swelling of the heart under an unexpected and undeserved misfortune together with the uncertainty attending the issue of his affairs had induced the young lord of Glenvarlock to live while in scotland in a very private and reserved manner how he had passed his time in london the reader is acquainted with but this melancholy and secluded course of life was neither agreeable to his age nor to his temper which was genial and sociable he hailed therefore with sincere pleasure The approaches which a young man of his own age and rank made towards him and when he had exchanged with lord dalgarno some of those words and signals by which as surely as by those of freemasonry young people recognise a mutual wish to be agreeable to each other it seemed as if the nobleman had been acquainted for some time just as this tacit intercourse had been established one of lord huntingland's attendants came down the alley marshalling onwards a man dressed in black buckram who followed him with tolerable speed considering that according to his sense of reverence and propriety he kept his body bent and parallel to the horizon from the moment that he came in sight of the company to which he was about to be presented who is this you calculatory knave said the old lord who had retained the keen appetite and impatience of a scottish baron even during a long alienation from his native country and why does john cook with a moraine to him keep back dinner i believe we are ourselves responsible for this person's intrusion said george harriet this is the scrivener whom we desire to see look up man and see us in the face as an honest man should instead of beating thy noddle charged against us thus like a battering ram." the scrivener did look up accordingly with the action of an automaton which suddenly obeys the impulse of a pressed spring but strange to tell not even the haste he had made to attend his patron's mandate a business as master harriet's message expressed of weight and importance made not even the state of depression in which out of sheer humility doubtless he had his head stooped to the earth from the moment he had tried the demeanour of the earl of hunting glen had called any colour into his countenance the drops stood on his brow from haste and toil but his cheek was still pale and tallow-coloured as before nay what seemed stranger his very hair when he raised his head hung down on either cheek as straight and sleek and undisturbed as it was when we first introduced him to our readers seated at his quiet and humble desk lord delgarno could not forbear a stifled laugh at the ridiculous and puritanical figure which presented itself like a starved anatomy to the company and whispered at the same time into lord glanvarlock's ear the devil damn thee black thou cream-faced loon where dost thou that goose look nigel was too little acquainted with the english stage to understand a quotation which had already grown matter of common illusion in london lord dalgarno saw that he was not understood and continued that fellow by his visage should either be a saint or a most hypocritical rogue and such is my excellent opinion of human nature that i always suspect the worst but they seem deep in business will you take a turn with me in the garden my lord or will you remain a member of the serious conclave with you my lord most willingly said nigel and they were turning away accordingly when george harriet with the formality belonging to his station observed that as their business concerned lord Glanvarlock, he had better remain to make himself master of it and witness to it my presence is utterly needless my good lord and my best friend master harriet said the young nobleman i shall understand nothing the better for." cumbering you with my ignorance in these matters can only say at the end as i now say at the beginning that i dare not take the helm out of the hand of the kind pilots who have already guided my course within sight of a fair and unhoped-for haven whatever you recommend to me as fitting i shall sign and seal and the import of the deeds i shall better learn by a brief explanation from master Harry, if he will bestow so much trouble in my behalf than by a thousand learned words and law terms from this person of skill he is right said lord huntingland our young friend is right in confiding these matters to you and me master george harriet he has not misplaced his confidence master george harriet cast a long look after the two young noblemen who had now walked down the alley arm arm, and at length said he hath not indeed misplaced his confidence as your lordship well and truly says but nevertheless he is not in the right path for it behooves every man to become acquainted with his own affairs so soon as he hath any that are worth attending to when he had made this observation they applied themselves with the scrivener to look into various papers and to direct in what manner writings should be drawn which might at once afford sufficient security to those who were to advance the money at the same time preserve the right of the young nobleman to redeem the family estate provided he should obtain the means of doing so by the expected reimbursement from the scottish exchequer or otherwise it is needless to enter into these details but it is not unimportant to mention as an illustration of character that harriet went into the most minute legal details with a precision which showed that experience had made him Master even of the intricacies of Scottish conveyancing, and that the Earl of Huntingglen, though far less acquainted with technical detail, suffered no step of the business to pass over until he had attained a general but distinct idea of its import and its propriety. They seemed to be admirably seconded in their benevolent intentions towards the young Lord Glenvarlock by the skill and eager zeal of the scrivener whom harriet had introduced to this piece of business the most important which andrew had ever transacted in his life and the particulars of which were moreover agitated in his presence between an actual earl and one whose wealth and character might entitle him to be an alderman of his ward if not to be lord mayor in his turn while they were thus in eager conversation on business the good earl even forgetting the calls of his appetite and the delay of dinner in his anxiety to see that the scrivener received proper instructions and that all was rightly weighed and considered before dismissing him to engross the necessary deeds the two young men walked together on the terrace which overhung the river and talked on the topics which lord dalgarno the elder and the more experienced thought most likely to interest his new friend these naturally regarded the pleasures attending a court life, and lord Dalgarno expressed much surprise at understanding that nigel proposed an instant return to scotland you are jesting with me he said all the court rings it is needless to mince it with the extraordinary success of your suit against the highest interest it is said now influencing the horizon at whitehall men think of you talk of you fix their eyes on you ask each other who is this young scottish lord who has stepped so far in a single day they augur in whispers to each other how high and how far you may push your fortune and all that you design to make of it is to return to scotland eat raw oatmeal cakes baked upon a peat fire have your hand shaken by every loon of a blue bonnet who chooses to dub you cousin though so your relationship comes by noah drink scots twopenny ale eat half-starved red-deer venison when you can kill it ride upon a galloway and be called my right honourable and maist worthy lord there is no great gaiety in the prospect before me i confess said lord glenvarlock even if your father and good master harriet should succeed in putting my affairs on some footing of plausible hope and yet i trust to do something for my vassals as my ancestors before me and to teach my children as i have myself been taught to make some personal sacrifices if they be necessary in order to maintain with dignity the situation in which they are placed by providence lord Dalgarno, after having once or twice stifled his laughter during this speech at length broke out into a fit of mirth so hearty and so resistless that angry as he was the call of sympathy swept nigel along with him and despite of himself he could not forbear to join in a burst of laughter which he thought not only causeless but almost impertinent he soon recollected himself however and said in a tone qualified to allay lord dalgarno's extreme mirth this is all well my lord but how am i to understand your merriment lord delgarnum only answered him with redoubled peals of laughter and at length held by lord glenbarlock's cloak as if to prevent his falling down on the ground in the extremity of his convulsion at length while nigel stood half abashed half angry at becoming thus the subject of his new acquaintance's ridicule and was only restrained from expressing his resentment against the son by his sense of the obligations he owed the father lord dalgarno recovered himself and spoke in a half-broken voice his eyes still running with tears i crave your pardon my dear lord lock ten thousand times do i crave your pardon but that last picture of rural dignity accompanied by your grave and angry surprise at my laughing at what would have made any court bred hound laugh that had but so much as bathed the moon once for the courtyard at whitehall totally overcame me why my liefest and dearest lord you a young and handsome fellow with thy birth the title and the name of an estate so well received by the king at your first starting as makes your further progress scarce matter of doubt if you know how to improve it for the king has already said you are a boi lad and well studied in the more humane letters you too, whom all the women and the very marked beauties of the court desire to see because you came from leyden were born in scotland have gained a hard contested suit in england you i say with a person like a prince an eye of fire and a wit as quick to think of throwing your cards on the table when the game is in your very hand running back to the frozen north and marrying let me see a tall stalking blue-eyed fair-skinned bony wench with eighteen quarters in her scutcheon a sort of lot's wife newly descended from her pedestal and with her to shut yourself up in your tapestry chamber a gad swoons i shall never survive the idea it is seldom that youth however high-minded is able from mere strength of character and principle to support itself against the force of ridicule half angry half mortified and to say truth half ashamed of his more manly and better purpose nigel was unable and flattered himself it was unnecessary to play the part of a rigid moral patriot in presence of a young man whose current fluency of language as well as his experience in the highest circles of society gave him in spite of nigel's better and firmer thoughts a temporary ascendancy over him he sought therefore to compromise the matter and avoid farther debate by frankly owning that if to return to his own country were not his choice it was at least a matter of necessity his affairs he said were unsettled his income precarious and where is he whose affairs are settled or whose income is less than precarious that is to be found in attendance on the court said lord dalgarno all are either losing or winning those who have wealth come hither to get rid of it while the happy gallants who like you and i dear glenvorloch have little or none have every chance to be sharers in their spoils i have no ambition of that sort said nigel and if i had i must tell you plainly lord dalgarno have not the means to do so i can scarce as yet call the suit i wear my own i owe it and i do riot blush to say so to the friendship of yonder good man i will not laugh again if i can help it said lord dalgarno but lord that you should have gone to a wealthy goldsmith for your habit why i could have brought you to an honest confiding tailor who should have furnished you with half a dozen merely for love of the little word lordship which you place before your name and then your goldsmith if he be really a friendly goldsmith should have equipped you with such a purse of fair rose nobles as would have brought you thrice as many suits or done better things for you i do not understand these fashions my lord said nigel his displeasure mastering his shame were i to attend the court of my sovereign it should be when i could maintain without shifting or borrowing the dress and retinue which my rank requires which my rank requires said lord Dalgarna, repeating his last words that now is as good as if my father had spoken. it i fancy you would love to move to court with him followed by a round score of old blue bottles with white heads and red noses with bucklers and broadswords which their hands trembling betwixt age and strong waters can make no use of as many huge Silver badges on their arms to show whose fools they are, as would furnish forth a court cupboard of plate, rogues fit for nothing but to fill our antechambers with the flavour of onions and genere pa, the poor knaves said. Lord Glenvarlock, they have served your father, it may be in the wars. What would become of them were he to turn them off? Why let them go to the hospital? said Dalgarnum or to the bridge end to sell switches the king is a better man than my father and you see those who have served in his wars do so every day or when their blue coats were well worn out they would make rare scarecrows here is a fellow now comes down the walk the stoutest raven dared not come within a yard of that copper nose i tell you there is more service as you will soon see in my valet of the chambre and such a lad as my page luton than there is in a score of these old memorials of the douglas wars the cruel civil wars waged by the scottish barons during the minority of james the sixth have the name from the figure made in them by the celebrated james douglas earl of morton both sides executed their prisoners without mercy or favor where they cut each other's throats for the chance of finding twelve pennies scots on the person of the slain marry my lord to make amends they will eat mouldy victuals and drink stale ale as if their bellies were puncheons but the dinner-bell is going to sound hark it is clearing its rusty throat with a preliminary jowl there is another clamorous relic of antiquity that were i master should soon be at the bottom of the thames how the foul fiend can interest the peasants and mechanics in the strand to know that the earl of hunting Glen is sitting down to dinner but my father looks our way we must not be late for the grace we shall be in disgrace if you will forgive a quibble which would have made his majesty laugh you will find us all of a piece, and having been accustomed to eat in saucers abroad i am ashamed you should witness our larded capons our mountains of beef and oceans of brewis, as large as highland hills and lochs but you shall see better cheer to-morrow where lodge you? I will call for you. I must be your guide through the people desert to certain enchanted lands, which you will scarce discover without chart and pilot. Where lodge you? I will meet you in Paul's," said Nigel, a good deal embarrassed. At any hour you please to name. Oh, you would be private," said the young lord. "Nay, fear not me. I will be no intruder. But we have attained this huge lauder of flesh, fowl, and fish. I marvel the oaken boards groan not under it they had indeed arrived in the dining-parlour of the mansion where the table was superabundantly loaded and where the number of attendants to a certain extent vindicated the sarcasms of the young nobleman the chaplain and sir mungo Malarother were of the party the latter complimented lord Glenvarlock upon the impression he had made at court one would have thought ye had brought the apple of discord in your pouch my lord or that you were the very firebrand of Wilk, Althea was delivered, and that she had lain in in a barrel of gunpowder for the king and the prince and the duke have been by the lugs about ye, and so have him any more. That kenna before this blessed day that there was such a man living on the face of the earth. Mind your vittles, Sir Mungo," said the Earl. "They get cold while you talk, troth." "And that needs na, my lord," said the knight. "Your lordship's." dinners seldom scald one's mouth the serving men are turning all like ourselves my lord and it is far between the kitchen and the hay with this little explosion of his spleen Mungo remained satisfied until the dishes were removed when fixing his eyes on the brave new doublet of lord dalgono he complimented him on his economy pretending to recognize it as the same which his father had worn in edinburgh in the spanish ambassador's time lord delgarno too much a man of the world to be moved by anything from such a quarter proceeded to crack some nuts with great deliberation as he replied that the doublet was in some sort of his father's as it was likely to cost him fifty pounds some day soon sir mungo forthwith proceeded in his own way to convey this agreeable intelligence to the earl observing that his son was a better maker of bargains than his lordship for he had bought a doublet as rich as that his lordship wore when the spanish ambassador was at holyrood and it had cost him but fifty pounds scots that was no fool's bargain my lord pounds sterling if you please sir mungo answered the earl calmly. and a fool's bargain it is in all the tenses dalgarno was fool when he bought i will be a fool when i pay and you sir mungo craving your pardon are a fool in for speaking of what concerns you not so saying the earl addressed himself to the serious business of the table and sent the wine around with the profusion which increased the hilarity but rather threatened the temperance of the company until their joviality was interrupted by the annunciation that the scrivener had engrossed such deeds as required to be presently executed george harriet rose from the table observing that wine-cups and legal documents were unseemly neighbours the earl asked the scrivener if they had laid a trencher and set a cup for him in the buttery and received the respectful answer that heaven forbid he should be such an ungracious beast as to eat or drink until his lordship's pleasure was performed thou shalt deed before thou goest said lord Huntingdon, and i will have thee try moreover whether a cup of sack cannot bring some colour into these cheeks of thine it were a shame to my household thou shouldst glide out into the strand after such a spectre fashion as thou now wearest look to it Dalgarna, for the honour of our roof is concerned lord Dalgarna gave directions that the man should be attended to lord Glenverlock and the citizen in the meanwhile signed and interchanged and thus closed a transaction of which the principal party concerned understood little save that it was under the management of a zealous and faithful friend undertook that the money should be forthcoming and the estate released from forfeiture by payment of the stipulated sum for which it stood pledged and that at the term of lammas and at the hour of noon beside the tomb of the regent earl of murray in the high kirk of st giles at edinburgh being the day and place assigned for such redemption as each covenant in those days of accuracy had a special place nominated for execution the tomb of the regent earl of murray in st giles's church was frequently assigned for the purpose when this business was transacted the old earl would fain have renewed his corrals but the citizen alleging the importance of the deeds he had about him and the business he had to transact betimes the next morning not only refused to return to table but carried with him to his barge lord Glenverlock, who might perhaps have been otherwise found more tractable when they were seated in the boat and fairly once more afloat on the river george harriet looked back seriously on the whom they had left there live he said the old-fashioned and the new the father is like a noble old broadsword but harmed with rust from neglect and inactivity the son is your modern rapier well mounted fairly gilt and fashioned to the taste of the time and it is time must evince if the muddle be as good as the show god grant it prove so says an old friend to the family Nothing of consequence passed betwixt them until Lord Glenverlock, landing at Paul's Wharf, took leave of his friend the citizen and retired to his own apartment where his attendant Ritchie, not a little elevated with the events of the day and with the hospitality of Lord Hunting Glen's housekeeping, gave a most splendid account of them to the buxom Dame Nelly, who rejoiced to hear that the sun at length was shining upon what Ritchie called the right side of the hedge. End of chapter 10.